We're talking about this month about staying the course. Staying the course. How do I finish my race strong? How do I keep my faith? How do I stay where God wants me to be? Being uh, loyal, faithful, and committed to fulfilling those things which God has placed in my heart and life. Now, last week, we spoke about having a heart for God. What does that look like to have a heart for God? How do I live that out practically in my daily life? Today, I want to talk to you about keeping the faith. Look at the person next to you. Say, keep the faith. And we're going to kick it off in Ephesians chapter 1 from verses 10 to 13. I want to read out of the Amplified. It brings out some very important facets from the word that we need to understand this morning. It says, with regard to the fulfillment of the times, that is the end of history, the climax of the ages, to bring all things together in Christ, both the things in the heavens and the things on the earth. In him also we have received an inheritance. Now, I love this in the Amplified. He explains what the inheritance is. It's a destiny. Say, I have a destiny. What is that destiny? That we have been claimed by God as his own. Having been predestined, chosen, and appointed beforehand, according to the purpose. Say, I have purpose this morning. Of him who works everything in agreement with the counsel and design of his will. Please underline that. You fulfilling and keeping your faith has everything to do with your purpose, which is aligned with God's will for your life. You cannot be fulfilled, satisfied, and you cannot be effective if you're not walking in the purpose that God has for your life. And that purpose isn't what you want to do, it's who God wants you to be. Can you say amen? It's tied up in the will of God for your life. And when you discover that, how you know it's a journey? None of us really ever get there because when you discover God's will and you start walking in it, it unfolds as you walk. Amen? So it's not, a, it's not a one day you wake up and say, oh, that's my purpose and it's all sorted. No, no, it's an ongoing process and journey as we stay the course, as we serve God. So verse 12, he says this. He says, so that we who were first to hope in Christ, who first put our confidence in him as our Lord and Savior, would exist to the praise of his glory. So he starts to show us what is God's purpose and will for us. That our lives declare the praises of God. Amen? So that we exist to the praise of His glory. That's the purpose for every believer. That as we serve God, as we experience His amazing love, as we experience His mercy in our lives, we become more like Him. And the more like Him we become, the more we praise Him. Amen? The more people can see Jesus in us. Verse 13 says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, and as a result believed in him, were stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, the one promised by Christ, as owned and protected by God. Say, I am owned and I am protected by God. Isn't that incredible? I love what uh, Pastor Mandy shared in our destiny training on Wednesday. You have the seal of the Holy Spirit. And he brings this out so beautifully here in the Amplified. What are you sealed for? What are you promised by? You are owned and protected by God. Amen. And you have the Holy Spirit living in you. So we're going to talk this morning, how do I keep the faith? How do I stay strong in the midst of a very broken world? Uh, sometimes the own brokenness in my own life. How many of you know none of us are perfect? All right, I'm going to speak for myself. I'm not perfect. 
and I live with Mandy, and she's almost perfect, but just, she's like a nine and a half. She's right there on the cusp, but she is even not even perfect. Amen. So you missed a great opportunity to say amen. Now, in the CEV translation, I love what it says here, because he, he brings out an aspect of keeping the faith that's so important. He says, I have fought well. I have finished the race. I have been faithful. So keeping the faith is about being faithful. Amen? It's about staying true to the things that you know God has placed in your heart and the things that he's doing in your life. Now, last week we looked at Ezekiel 36. I just want to bounce off that. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures. We're going to be a little bit all over the place this morning, and then at the end we'll trust God to bring it all together. But here in verse 26, I will give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. You see, when we follow Jesus from our hearts, we're empowered to keep the faith. We're empowered to be faithful because he's faithful. Amen? It's not about you and I trying to do something in our own strength. We, we love God because he first loved us. And when we receive God's love into our lives, we're empowered to love other people. Amen? It's not a work we do to try and prove something to God or try and earn something from God. Listen today, church, you cannot earn anything from God because everything God has for you is a free gift. The minute you step into trying to earn it, you start preventing it. Amen? But what you can do, the good works you do do in your life come out of what God is doing in your life. Amen? That's why Jesus said, the kingdom of God is not here nor there or where. The kingdom of God is in you. So it's what God is doing in you, not what is happening to you. Amen? Say, I'm a winner this morning. Now, in regards to keeping the faith, have a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. The wisest man who ever lived before Jesus says this. He says, I returned... And I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor yet riches to the men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. Say time and chance happens. Listen. We didn't see a more vivid explanation of that than last night in the rugby. The race is not to the swift. The battle is not to the strong. Riches are not to those of understanding. And favor is not for those who are skilled. But time and chance happen to everyone. That's why it's important. You keep the faith. You might not always win. You might not have every answer. You might not have all the resources. But when God's on your side, you have everything you need. Amen? Amen? And so what we realize, I know when we read this verse, what most of our minds go to, when we talk about chance, we, we go to that frame mind of lucky or, oh, wasn't that lucky that happened? Listen, if you're a Christian, luck is not in your vocabulary. It's not even a thing. 
All right, so this word chance is not talking about, you know, all this happens and then, you know, maybe all of us have a bit of luck. No, 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 no. Go study this word in the Hebrew. You'll discover something very, very interesting. It says chance happeneth. The word chance is the Hebrew word pagah, and it actually means to intercede for. It means to intercede for so that you fall upon. So, so when it speaks about chance, it's not talking about something just happened. It speaks about a God encounter. A God moment where God intervenes in your life, not because you deserve it, but because of who he is. And maybe because of someone else that is interceding for you. That's why it's important for us to be people of prayer, prayer warriors, people who are praying for other people, people who are standing in the gap for others. Why? Because your prayer can be the difference between life and death for someone else. Hallelujah. All right, so that's the word pagah. And then the word happeneth in the Hebrew is the word kwara. Say kwara. See, you come to a great church. You don't just hear the word. You even learn to speak Hebrew. Now listen to this. The word the word happeneth here, kwara, you know what it means? To light upon. I love this. To encounter. Listen, a chance happening is someone interceding or God intervening so that you have an encounter that shifts you from where you were to where you need to be. Amen? And it's not based on the wisdom, the skill, and the ability and the strength and the talents you have. It's based on the awesome God we serve. Come on, give the person next to you our five. Say, you serve an awesome God. Come on, church, work with me a little bit. If you want to clap and praise God, it's all right in this church. We're very, very liberal in this church when it comes to that. Just look at the person next to you. Say, amen. All right, so in reality, what we're saying about this verse is this. When you serve God, when you keep the faith, when you keep trusting God, even when you don't know how it is going to be or you're hurting or you don't know what's going on, here's the reality. You never leave God out of the equation of your life. Amen? And God can intervene in your life because he is faithful and he is the God who intervenes in the affairs of life. Amen? And I believe he's going to intervene in your affairs in Jesus' name. In a good way, in a powerful way. And so what's very interesting is this, this verse has a direct reference to Romans chapter 9, verse 16 in the New Testament. And listen to what Romans 9 says. So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. How many of you know there's something powerful that happens when you throw yourself onto the mercy of God? Now remember there are two big words in the New Testament that we all need to understand. It's the word grace, say grace. And the word mercy, say mercy. Now grace, what is grace? Grace is you and I receiving his unmerited favor. In other words, it's undeserved, unearned, but it is yours. Grace is not an excuse for you to live unholy, ungodly lives. Grace is the empowerment to live the way God wants you to live. Amen? It's a divine empowerment. But mercy equally is even more important. Mercy is God's favor in your life that prevents you from getting what you deserve. So grace gives you what you don't deserve. Mercy stops you from getting what you do deserve. 
Amen. And it all comes together through Jesus because of the blood of Jesus. He paid the price. Amen. He made the sacrifice. He paid the redemption price for your well-being, for your salvation. Amen. And so how many of you know we need the mercy of God? It's always better to throw ourselves on God's mercy than be subject to man's plans or even our own. Why? Because God is full of compassion. Amen. He deals with us from a place of his compassion. That's why in Genesis 24 verse 12, we all know this very well. We know that when Abraham said to his servant, go find my son a wife. Guess what that servant prayed? Let's read it together in verse 12. Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. You know what that word show success is? It's the same word, pagakwara. And notice that he was making intercession not for himself but for his master. And guess what happened? He had an encounter. Because when he got to that well and he had prayed the prayer and said, God, let it be the woman who offers to uh, water, uh, water my um, camels. Let it be the lady. And how you know he had a divine encounter. He had a happening. And in that happening, God singled out the woman that he was supposed to take so that that would be Abraham's son or Isaac's wife. How many of you know God is awesome? He can connect you in the most unlikely situation with the right thing, the right event at the right moment. Bump the person next to you say, it's happening for you today. Why? Because God is faithful. That's why we can keep the faith. That's why we get up every morning and we have a hope, we have an intention, we have a purpose. Who will God use me today to make an impact in? Who will God use me today to turn this situation around? You see, it's not even about God turn my situation around. We're not even worried about God turning our situation around. We're worried about what God wants to do for someone else. Because when you let God use you to turn someone else, guess what? He'll turn your situation around. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things. Say it with me. Say the things. Come on, let's do the action. Say the things. Doesn't that feel so lacquer? Say the things. I'm going to keep doing it until you all go with, so let's just do it together. Say all the things. Even online, they're sitting in their bed going, things. It's such a beautiful way to live because I can get up tomorrow. Have I got challenges? Yes. Are there issues? Yes. Are there things that are going that we need help with? Yes. I don't have to concern myself with that. All I have to do is keep the faith. Stay faithful to what God's called me to do, God's called us to do. And as we walk in that, God will take care of the things. God will take care of the things. That means I can live light. I don't have to live with worry and fear. I don't have to stress about where my kids, my grandkids, what's happening, who's going where. No, 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 no. I cast my care on the Lord and I say, Lord, what do you want me to do today for you and for your kingdom? Because when I do what God wants me to do, he'll do what I can't do. He'll make sure I have that quarapaga moment. And we've learned in previous weeks, if that hasn't happened yet, then you just keep trusting God. You keep walking, you keep serving, you keep praising, you keep your joy high. Can you say amen? And you exercise patience. So keeping the faith means we remain faithful because he is faithful. Now let's dig a little bit deeper. Can we go a bit deeper this morning? 
Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, and we'll see something very, very interesting that's happening in the world today and was spoken of thousands of years ago. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it says this. But know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. That word perilous actually means, listen to this, difficult and very hard to deal with times. How many agree we're living in that moment right now? So he says, perilous times will come. Look why they come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. And he goes on for another five verses. How many know he's describing 2023 and 2024? But here's the thing. There are three major things that happen to believers when we're living our lives and fighting the fight of faith. When we're staying the course, I want you to know the time will come where you're tempted to give up. You're tempted to quit. The pressure will be so much that you feel like, I can't do this anymore. Am I speaking to the right church this morning? Where it just feels like it's just too much, we feel overwhelmed. And what we've got to guard against when that happens is there are three things that can happen in the believer's life that we've got to guard against if we're going to keep the faith. Here they are, number one. We'll try and look at them this morning, time willing. Number one, we begin to resist the truth, and so we stagnate. Number two, we start to lose our faith. And when I say faith, I'm not talking about the general faith. We're talking about your faith in trusting God that he's working in your life. Number three, what happens is we stop listening to our own conscience. And you'll see today that if you're going to keep the faith and if you're going to have an active faith, you've got to pay attention to your conscience. Because your conscience is part of your spirit man. It's where your your mind, your will, and your emotions meet your spirit. And it's the place where you become sensitive to the glory and the presence of God. It's the place where you make decisions. And if your conscience gets seared, how many of you know, you'll go on doing things that are wrong thinking that they're okay. How many are we living in a world like that today? Where the church has moved from the center of the Bible being everything and the word of God and Jesus being everything and we kind of move to over here where, yes, yes, that's important, but what do people say? What is, what is society saying? Uh, how are we going to manage this? And we, and we become political in our stance and not biblical. Just look at the person next to you say, stay biblical. And when I say that, I'm not talking about being religious. Just let me be clear, God is not religion. God hates religion. Religion brings strife and, and it brings uh, conflict and it brings competition. I'm talking about relationship. Relationship with Jesus. An understanding of who we are in Christ because of what God has done in our lives. There's a big difference between religion and relationship. Relationship is based on an interaction and an intimacy. Religion is based on works and what I do to perform. And religion will always drive you away from God. Relationship will pull you towards God. Because how many of you know he's always there pulling you in? He's always there fighting for you. He's always there loving you because he is the God of power, of grace, and of love. That doesn't mean that he's not firm. That doesn't mean that he's, un- that he's not unchanging or that he, that, he, that he vacillates in terms of who he is and what he is. God doesn't change, amen? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Okay, you're glad you came to church. All right, look at the person next to you and say, tell your face. All right, so let's look at this first one just quickly. Resisting the truth and stagnating. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he goes on uh, for the first seven verses telling us about the condition and what it produces. Then in verse 8, he continues, he says, Now just as Yanis and Yambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, listen to this, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will not progress any further, for their foolishness will be manifest to all, as theirs was also. So let's quickly talk about Yanis and Yambres. Who is Yanis and Yambres? I had to go check this out, because I didn't even know who Yanis and Yambres is. You know who they are? They are the magicians who worked for Pharaoh, when Moses came to say, God has sent me to deliver the children of Israel. And those magicians could do magic. They could turn their things into snakes and they could do all kinds of things. But how you know Moses superseded them in everything they did, he always had another move. That's just like God. The devil moves, God's got another move. You think God, the devil's got you in a corner? Listen, listen. It's not over till God says it is. And while the enemy comes in like a flood, God says he'll raise up a standard. God says the enemy will come, but no weapon formed against you can prosper for my righteousness is of God. God always gets the final say. Can you say amen? When you allow him to be who he is in your life, he is in control. So what happens is he uses this example. Now here's what's very interesting about this verse. Nowhere in the Bible are Yanis and Yambres mentioned. So how on earth did Paul know about them? Come back next week, we'll share that, okay. We're doing a series, we want to get you back, it's good marketing. Okay, the scholars tell us they probably, that it was written in the old Hebrew history, or otherwise God revealed it to, them, to him, I don't know, could be either. Maybe a bit of both. But here's what I want to remind you, what happened to these two because they resisted the truth. And because they resisted the truth, they started to stagnate and they lost the power of God from working in their lives. Because verse 5 says this, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. So you see, we're living in a world today where the church can have a, a look of Christian, amen, it can have a look of godliness, can have an appearance of godliness, but listen, when you get close, there's no power. No power to deliver, no power to set free, no power to live on principle, no power to live with intention, no power to win the lost, no power to, do, to break the, 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 the strongholds of the enemy, no power to live a godly marriage, no power to see your children serving God. Bump the person next to you and say, where's the power? And Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 4 and 5. He says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. Listen to this. That your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen? And so you need to know something. And I'm not telling you this for any other reason than just as an example. Every week before I get up here and preach, I say, Lord, 
It's not about the message. It's not about the eloquence of speech. It's not about how well constructed something is because you can do all that and people can go away and say, what a great message, and you can have an appearance of godliness, but there's no power. Let it be the demonstration of the Spirit. And you know what the demonstration of the Spirit produces? Salvation, deliverance, sustenance, growth, stability, faithfulness. Amen? I learned something so powerful that I've known, but I learned it again, and it's such a powerful lesson. When I speak to people, and, they, and I see a lot of people, we've got over 230 churches that, we, that we're leading, and, and we're busy ministering and raising up leaders, and the first question I ask, who is your leader? Who are you submitted to? Who is the person that's speaking into your life? And there are some big ministries that have no accountability, no one speaking into their lives, and you know what? We'll have nothing to do with them. And you shouldn't either. Why? Because if you're not accountable, if there's no one who can speak into your life and bring correction, bring a word of challenge, bring a word of like, listen, why are you doing this and saying this? This doesn't line up with the word. Then you have nothing that shows your faithfulness. So listen, I might not be the greatest preacher in town. I might not be completely eloquent in every moment. I even come up with my same, some of my own words occasionally. I'm up and I've got issues in my life. But let me just tell you one thing. I've been doing this for 37 years. I have the same relationships, the same pastor speaking into my life. And I'm connected with God. And I don't want to do anything that will move me out from that. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying there needs to be accountability. There needs to be stability. There needs to be faithfulness. Let's look at the fruit because that's where the power is. Those magicians came and they could turn the stick into a snake and that was it. Let's not get to a place where we're just dancing around doing fancy little things so everyone gets excited but there's no depth. There's no character. There's no fruitfulness. Can you say amen? No stability and no track record of, hang on. I love what Rick Godwin used to say. Never buy a guy's CD while he's riding the crest of the wave. Wait till the wave breaks. And his surfboard goes flying. And everything's falling apart. Then we'll see what the person's made of. Then we'll see the character. Can you say amen? All right, very quiet in this Pentecostal holiness Presbyterian church this morning. Even my mouth is dry. Look at the person next to say, we love our pastor. Mm. Some of you might be a bit upset this morning. It's fine if you want to let down my tires. I drive the white hard body, the double cab. It's parked. The next thing that happens is that we lose faith. Right, so, so our faith stops with you. And I'm, I'm wanting to encourage you this morning. I'm not, I'm not getting on your case. I'm saying, let's be sure, we not always are, but let's be sure, let's help each other to make sure we're not just doing stuff, but there's power there. There's, there's the, 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 the confirmation of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God working in our lives that we, we sense God is showing us to do something. Number two, let's make sure we keep our faith. Let's keep trusting God. We don't always know everything. Can you say amen? We make mistakes. We, we do stupid things sometimes. All of us, because none of us are perfect. Amen? Look at the person next to you. Just smile say, I know you're not perfect. All right? But that doesn't mean we don't keep 
trying. It means we keep our faith. And so what happens sometimes is when we get to that place where, where we're feeling discouraged, we feel like things just aren't going well, we can start losing our faith. And he speaks to this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 to 17. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first, say in me first, where? 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 In me first. Right? In me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern. Say a pattern. In me first as a pattern. Let's say it together. In me first as a pattern. In me first as a pattern. So where must it be happening? In me first. Why? That's the pattern. Remember? Paul said, Where are the fathers? You all have many instructions. How do you know it's easy to instruct people? Do this, do that, do that. doesn't matter whether you're doing it or not. But when you're a father, you know you've got to be what you say you are because people, your children don't do what they... What <laughs> children do not do what they're told to do. They do what you do. <laughs> Amen? And so you've got to become what you want them to do. Oh, why am I going off on all these tangents this morning? I just wanted to stick to my notes, do 35 minutes, hallelujah, praise Jesus, let's go home. Everyone's happy. The box won yesterday. Woo! But no, to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now the kingdom eternal, now the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who is only is wise, be honor and glory forever, amen. In other words, we need to realize God is... God knows better than you and I. Can you say amen? And so if we respect that, we allow him to be in control. And so in verse 18, he goes on. He says, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. So he says, listen, that faith that is in you first, that becomes the pattern for your life and for others. That's the word that you need to stand on when you start to go through warfare. When things start to go on in your life and the storms are blowing and things are falling apart and everything looks crazy. He says, use those things to fight a good warfare. Amen. That's how you keep the faith. That's how you stay faithful. I didn't get up every morning saying, oh, I just feel so holy and so anointed and so wonderful. No, we all have days where we get up and we're like, am I even born again? But thank goodness we don't have to go by our feelings. We don't have to go by what we see. We go by who God says we are. And so he says, let that pattern become your pattern. Let your life become an example of those things that have been spoken over you. The word of God that has been preached. And when it says prophecies here, if you go study the word, it's not a, just the prophecy like we had the word of prophecy this morning. Or someone comes to you and says, you know, I see God is saying this to you. That's legitimate, but that's not what it's talking about. The word prophecy here actually is to preach inspired from the word. That's actually what this word prophecy means. It's inspired preaching from the word of God, which includes a word of encouragement, a prophecy, a direction that comes, a scripture that God might give you. It includes that, but it includes inspired preaching from the word of God. Amen? Alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now look what he says. That by them you may wage a good warfare. Listen, having faith and a good conscience. Say faith and a good conscience. Now he reads on, he explains, look here, he says this, which some have rejected 
concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. Of whom are Arminius and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I love Paul. (laughs) He just walks in authority. He says, listen, these two oaks, they didn't do what I told them to do. They didn't walk in the face. I just handed them over to Satan. I'm like, give me some of that power. You said what? I hand you over to Satan in Jesus' name. Uh, Okay, some of you didn't see the humor in that. Anyway, it's like when you're driving down the road, someone cuts you off. If you've got the power, you just... So you see, when your faith is shipwrecked, what happens is you start to lose your vision. You start to use the, you lose the clarity of your life and the intention of what God called you to be and who God called you to be, who he called you to reach, what he's called you to be. And when you lose your vision and you lose your sight, guess what? You start to look at everything else. And you grasp at straws. And then the next thing that happens is you step into emotional bondage because you're not listening to your conscience anymore. And I tell you what, I started to realize, even in my own life, the areas of emotional bondage that I've allowed because of the negativity of thoughts and the things people say and the lies the enemy tries to get you to believe. And when you start believing them, it goes into your emotions, that negativity goes into your emotions, and it stops you from trusting God and being faithful in what he's called you to be. And my time is nearly up, but that's really where I wanted to get this morning because I really believe God wants to help us today. He wants to ignite and lift off the scales from our hearts where our eyes have been blinded and we've lost the vision of what God's called us to do. Church, at the end of the day, we can sum it up. There's lots of things we do. But at the end of the day, we need to make sure we are reaching the lost and we're discipling the saved. And that's the new vision of our church in discipleship. Can you say amen? Every believer a leader, every leader a disciple maker. Amen. That's the goal for worldwide revival. That's why we've got a purpose being here today. That's why we do destiny training. That's why we live our lives. That's why we come to church expectant every day. That's why we live our lives every day with intention. Who is God going to use me today to make a difference in? Not because I'm something, but because he's everything. Can you say amen? And so let's just look at a few things. In, I'll just take a few minutes here, and then I'll wrap it up, and then we're going to get, uh, I think Benita's doing the offering this morning. Is Benita here? Benita's here. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Like, who's going to take up the offering? Habakkuk 2, verse 1 to 4. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart. And watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I'm corrected. Then the Lord answered and said, write the vision down. Make it plain. In other words, let it be clear and write it on tablets that he who runs, run your race, fight the good fight. He who runs may read it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak. It will not lie. Though it tarries. Wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. In other words, it won't take forever, even if it feels like it is. And then look at verse 4. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Amen? So you see, when you are moved off your faith, off the fundamental of who God called you to be and what he's called you to do, what happens is your soul is not right within you and that emotional bondage blinds your faith from walking and living the way you need to live. 
And so you end up down the road so far off course that you even wonder where it is that you're supposed to be. Get back to the center, amen? Get back to where you need to be and keep doing the things that you need to do. So the vision that God has given his children is to bring worldwide revival. Can you say amen? Possibly, and it needs to be the greatest revival that history has ever known. Winning souls, making disciples, building the church of Jesus Christ. Listen to this fact. They're not current. They're a few years old. But you know that there are currently, it's probably more now, but there are currently 24,000 distinct, different ethnic groups in the world. All right? And this is what the word of God says in prophecy. Before the end may come, the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be preached to all the earth, and listen, and a witness be raised up in all of them. And what is a witness? A witness is a local church that is consistently preaching the word of God in that community. And you know how many of those communities we've reached so far? 13,000. So the 11,000 ethnic groups that do not have an ongoing witness of Jesus Christ in them. So guess what we need? A worldwide revival. How many of you know there's work to be done? Can you say amen? And it starts here with us just doing our part every single day. So let's travail in prayer. Let's trust God together and let's renew our vision in God. Can you say amen? I'll close with this and then we'll pick it up. Uh, next week we'll, we'll go back into some of these things. I just want to close with this. If you just give me a minute, I want to find my spot here. You see, when you have a clear visual of what God wants you to be doing and that vision is, unite, is reignited and you have faith, what happens is you start walking in the power of God and you have the anointing of God and so when you speak words they carry the anointing and power of God you might not feel anything but when you're living in that place God anoints your words and your words become arrows of life and victory to other people and I really believe this with all my heart your positive words become good food not just for your soul they will bring healing and peace to you but they'll be bring overcoming faith and confidence to those you speak to it will fill the emotional emptiness that people feel right now because of the negativity of the world we're living in and the lies that the enemy has brought. And so I wanted to hit on that this morning. Many of us, our emotions have been taken captive and there's a root of bitterness and a root of bondage there. And I want you to know that faithful words will be like a balm that brings healing. It'll be, it'll be like when you speak, it brings healing and recovery and, and strength and positivity. And what happens is people start believing in themselves again. And then they can start believing in God again. And guess what? They can even start believing in other people again. And when that happens, you see, things shift so that God is able to work in our lives. That's why in Matthew 5, I'll close with this. It says this, Nor do you light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, so that it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that, God, so that they may see your good works. You see, good works have a place that they may see your good works and in so doing glorify God in heaven. You see, when you're living a relationship and people see your good works, guess what it says? They glorify God. When you're living in religion and you do good works, you know what happens? They glorify you. And that's the distinct difference between relationship and religion. We're doing what we're doing, not for ourselves, 
Not so that we can look good, but so that God can get the glory. Can you say amen? Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around just for the next few minutes. God loves you so much. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. But maybe there are things that have happened in your life. Things that have gone wrong in your life. And and today you sit here and your faith has been dashed. Your emotions are confused and you feel you're in this place of difficulty. I want to say to you today as your pastor, as a pastor, Jesus loves you. He cares about you. He's got a plan for you. And so while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you're here today, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, even if you're watching online from wherever you are in the world, doesn't matter. Jesus loves you and he created this moment. He knew you'd be listening. He knew you'd be here and he created this moment for you that you can have an encounter with him and that he can restore your faith, renew your strength and bring healing into your life because he loves you. First step today is if you're not born again, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you say today, is my day. I want to make a decision. You might have been to church, you might know of God, but you've never personally accepted Jesus into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. That's the defining moment. And so if that's you today, even if you're watching online, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to invite you to just raise your hand and say, this is my day. Today is a defining moment in my life because I surrender my life to the Lordship of Christ. I give my life to Jesus. So I'm going to count to three. One, remember Jesus loves you. He cares about you. Number two, he died on a cross and he was raised from the dead so that you could be redeemed and be restored to a relationship with your father. Number three, wherever you are, raise your hand right now. If you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life today, he's here to meet you. Don't worry about the person next to you, the person behind you. God bless you. I see those hands right at the back. If you've raised your hand, would you just quietly stand to your feet? If you're watching online and you've made that decision, then we're going to lead you in a prayer right now from Romans chapter 10 and verses 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is God, you will be saved. So right where you are, just stand on your feet and just move to the back of the building. Our pastors and elders, they want to meet you there, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Then we're going to take you to a place. We're going to give you a Bible. We're going to pray with you. Is there someone else right now, before we do that, who'd like to join them? Wherever you are, just raise your hand and say, that is me today. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to receive Christ as my Savior. Now, if you're online, we're going to pray a prayer. If you'll just pray this prayer and be sincere in your heart. And then once you've done it, if you'll shoot us a WhatsApp or an email, we'd love to know that you made a decision today to accept Christ. And we'd love to pray with you and do a, a go, go on a journey with you, send you a Bible and a book if you don't have one. Church, let's pray together. If you're standing at the back, just pray this prayer. Be sincere in your heart and God will do the rest. Let's pray out loud together. Say, Father God, I believe today that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for my sin, and that you raised him from the dead so that I could be saved. I open my heart, and I believe, as I confess with my mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and I receive him as my Lord and Savior. God bless you. We're so excited today. Come on, let's put our hands together. God bless you, sir, ma'am. If you'll go with our pastors there, we'll quickly take you to a place of prayer. We're going to give you a Bible, and when you're done, you can come back inside and join us in the auditorium. We'd love to just pray with you and encourage you. If you're online, send us that WhatsApp or that email, and we'd be joining. Uh, we'll be getting in, hold, getting in contact with you and praying with you.